Welcome. If you're new to church, if you're new to Aldergrove, welcome. If, particularly if you're new to Jesus, welcome. Uh, but if you've been here the whole time, happy birthday. <laughs> Today is our first, as Kevin said, first of two weeks of our birthday celebration. And so what we're going to do is we want to take a break. We want to remember and celebrate what God has done. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of share the story from my perspective. And then next week, Kevin's going to share the story from his perspective. So it's kind of the same story, but two halves. We've been here for nearly a year, but there's been a church on this property for 85 years. Yeah. In 1936, Bethel Mennonite Church was established, although it was called Cochlin Mennonite Church at the time. And for more than eight decades, this community embodied Christ's presence in the neighborhood. And in 2019, Bethel was a church looking for a pastor, and I was a pastor looking for a church. And they had discerned that, among other things, they felt that God was calling them to think and act like a church plant. And I thought that was really, really exciting, that here was a community that had been here for for over 80 years, and they were still wanting to do something new and fresh to embody Christ's presence. So I came on board, and that was a lot of fun. That's my son, Ezra. Yeah. So 2019, in October, Emily and Ezra and I joined Bethel. Uh, for, first, for the first few months, we began to discern where God was leading us into this next season. But that first March was the pandemic. And you know how we've been talking about like five out of five would recommend? Well, as far as things go, that COVID pandemic, one out of five stars would not recommend. <laughs> so, uh, but we made it through. And in October of 2021, almost exactly two years ago, Bethel went through an interesting season. Normally, when it comes to preaching, I like to be fairly prepared. I like to always be working on my next sermon. I like to work uh, at least four to six weeks out if I can. But in October 2021, God put a stop to everything that I had planned. It was like there was a wall, and I couldn't get past the wall, and God led Bethel into a season where we looked through the theme of resurrection. And every week for a series of weeks, we read John chapter 11, the resurrection of Lazarus. We read John chapter 12, where Jesus said that unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces a harvest. And we, we actually brought pots up to the front, and as a symbolic response to this, we took seeds and we planted seeds in those pots. Uh, I don't know, if, is Linda here? She took the pots home, and they were, they, last I talked to her, they were going, so maybe she still has those plants at home. And we looked at a quote from someone named Igubom, and he said, For people of resurrection, death becomes a doorway out of which new life emerges. So we do not pine for a return to normal as our deliverance, but we long for a resurrection that overshadows the old life. A crisis might not be a grave, but a womb. Our resilience comes from our theology of resurrection. And it was the season that God brought Bethel to almost exactly two years ago 
to the day where he reminded us that he is the God of resurrection. Now, up until that point, and for about 10 years, Bethel had been exploring and discerning the different avenues that God might have in store for the future. And just a couple of months after that season in October, Emily, my wife, uh, she saw that North Langley was looking to plant a church, a, a campus rather, in Aldergrove, with Kevin Schultz as the planting pastor. So Kevin and I, we, we, we had coffee years ago, and neither of us know why. We just know, I think we met at the Laleham in Fort Langley, somehow I think we got connected, and we had just a one-off coffee that went nowhere, and we both remember it well, but we're like, I don't know why we got together. So I knew Kevin a little bit. So I called up Kevin and I said, hey, listen, you're looking to plant in Aldergrove. We're like in the back corner of Aldergrove. What if we had a conversation? So we met for, for lunch and that went well. And so then Terry Christie, the board chair of Bethel, and Janet Thiessen, the executive pastor at North Langley, then we met. And then the elders met. And then the congregation met. And from there, the meetings and the conversations just snowballed. And there were a lot of discussions. There were a lot of meetings, and there was a lot of prayer in the next four months. It was a difficult season, but there was also a hope. In the end, a merger was proposed with Bethel offering to transfer the property free of charge to North Langley, and the two congregations would come together and do one thing together. And on April 24th, it was the day of the vote, now, that was the day that the Schultz family had been planning, I think, for a long time to go to Hawaii. So we were here voting on whether to merge, and Kevin and his family were in the security lineup in the airport to go to Hawaii. So here is the actual text chain between Kevin and I on the morning <laughs> of the 24th. So Kevin texted 8.36 in the morning, love you, man, so much praying today. Love you, too. I'm confident the Spirit will guide you as you lead his church today. Blessings on you and Bethel today. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. We had the service, 1214. I texted Kevin. We're voting now. I'll let you know results when they come in and call you later. Texted or, Kevin texted and replied, this orgy? <laughs> he said, so nervous. 20 minutes later, I texted him and I said, we're still counting votes. So one thing I appreciate is the people counting votes, they counted them well. We wanted it to be 100% clear. Kevin texted back, ah! <laughs> and then I texted back almost 20 minutes after that saying, vote approved. Kevin went, exclamation points, so exciting. Percentage? And it was about 85% overall. And Kevin replied, he said, thank you, Lord. I'm very excited to do ministry together with you, John. This is big for our community. A facility is massive, but I'm so excited to be a church family with the people of Bethel. I'm going to restrain some of my enthusiasm and check out for the next 10 days, but I'm very grateful for the generous, humble, and kingdom-focused posture you and your church have had through all this. God has exciting things in store for us. I can't wait. But this week, I'll be focusing my prayers around peace and comfort for everyone at Bethel, regardless of how they voted. Love you, brother. Love you too, Kevin. And that was the text chain. That was the day that Bethel decided to let the seed die. 
And so we began to prepare for harvest. And it was interesting to see this, this, this sign that had been a sign for so long with no sign on it anymore. There was a lot of work that had to be done in the building. Uh, some of you might remember what this room here looked like. And if not, it looked like that. Pink carpet. Wooden stage with the carpet around the edge. Uh, so this worship center was cleaned out. Like, completely. The pews were all moved into the gym. Uh, and then this was our launch Sunday. This is one year ago. But it wasn't just the building that we had to get ready, it was the people too. Between the merger vote and for a number of months, I loved getting to work with the North Langley staff team, particularly with Kevin. So over those months, we got to go skating together. <laughs> Kevin dry baptized me. I don't know the theological significance of this, but I'm new to the MB, so maybe I'll find out. And we even got to celebrate Kevin's birthday. I was really excited. My hand was just lots of thumbs ups there. But on our launch Sunday, we planted bulbs. And one thing that was such a beautiful symbol to me of what God was doing in our community was this past spring when the bulbs began to come up. That all of the work, that everything that had been committed to the ground, and for so long there was nothing, we began to see life. And since the launch, we've seen amazing things. Our kids' ministry started in the gym. That was rough. But now we've got kids downstairs. Uh, it's just exploding. And not just numbers. We're seeing kids become apprentices of Jesus. And that is what we're so excited to see. We went from zero life groups to 10 life groups like that. And we have 30 or 40 more people today wanting to join life groups. And so there's this, this move towards wanting to be in community. We hosted the event Celebrate Single Moms in this building. We did move camp here. We've seen people go deeper in relationship with God and each other. And we've seen people return to church after years or even decades away. And we ran our first alpha. And here we are now, nearly one year later. This is this morning. I was going to say I took this picture, but I'm in that picture. <laughs> the person sitting two, to, two down from me, Brian, took this picture. So this is, this is us 20 minutes ago. This is where God has brought us. This is where we are. And this year has been hard in a lot of ways. Much about the merger was difficult for those of us from Bethel because first we lost. Before we ever saw anything, we lost. But for those of us who were there and saw that seed die, and then to see this harvest has been amazing. And I know there's people from North Langley and South Langley and from the community and from the past. All of you are here as well. And so I'm just sharing the story from my perspective. And I want to say thank you to the people of Bethel for letting that seed die so that we could see what God would do with his harvest. I talked to some people from Bethel who were there much, much longer than me, and the theme I heard consistently was, this is what we had always prayed it would look like. And it's been amazing. 
We're not even a year old, and we look really established. We're like a toddler with a career. <laughs> we look a lot older than we are. And I've been surprised by how the story of what God has done here has rippled through the community. I've had pastors and people from at least a half dozen churches come and ask me, how did this happen? Because they want to do the same thing. They're encouraged by what God has done here, and they want to see how they can do it as well. And do you know what I'm very tempted to say is how I did this? that I did a really good job, that I've got three principles I would give you for how to merge a church. But the truth of the matter is, is that that's not the case. See, when Kevin and I first met for coffee, I'd gotten COVID two weeks before that. I still remember how miserable I was, not because of Kevin, but because of how I was feeling, <laughs> sitting across from him. And I remember telling him, I'm like, you are seeing me at my worst. I was miserable. My brain was foggy for months. I had to ask Emily a number of times, is this whole thing a good idea or am I going to regret it when my brain finally clears up? I was at my worst. It was not because of me that God did this. It was not because of me. So when people ask me, how did this happen? I say, from my perspective, I don't know. God didn't do it because of me. I think in so many ways he did it despite me. So if it wasn't me, where can we point? Can we say it's because of Kevin and his visionary leadership and his willingness to step out in faith and plant a new campus? Well, that's true. Can we point to our volunteers and our, our, our core team, our planting team, the people who served so much for so long to get everything up off the ground? And, and that's true. Do we point to the fact that North Langley set aside a budget just for such an occasion that we had money available to do this kind of work? And that's true. But at the end of the day, the simple truth is that God has done all of this. God has done all of this. We have made it this far because God is the one who has brought us to this point. That's why we want to take two weeks that's why we want to stop to celebrate and remember. We want to recognize, not, not just to drink deep of nostalgia, ah, the good old days, but we want to recognize what God has done and to be reminded of all the ways that he has worked to bring us to this place. There's a verse that I have returned to a number of times in this process. If you want to open your, your Bible app or your pew Bible, it's page 85. It's Deuteronomy chapter 8, and there have been a number of times over this past year that I have returned to this verse. Now, God had called the nation Israel. He, he called Abram, named him Abraham, and, and out of Abraham, he made this whole people, and he promised to bring them into this really good country. And just as they were, it was like Christmas Eve, basically, the day before they head in, Moses gives them a warning. So it's the nation of Israel just on the cusp of heading into the promised land. In Deuteronomy 8, 6, Moses says this to them, Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills. 
a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, all that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to, um, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as it is today. So this is the word of the Lord. And so God, through Moses, he reminds the people that as you head into the land that was promised, it will be tempting to forget, because when things are good is when we're most likely to forget. When things are wonderful and bountiful and pleasant, that's when we're most likely to feel like, I did this because I'm doing really well. And so let me paraphrase this a bit. Aldergrove, John. Remember to walk with God. For the Lord is bringing you into a good campus. A place with life groups and kids ministry and a coffee break in the middle of the service. A place where there's vibrant worship and people are coming back to Christ. When you come on Sunday and during the week and when you enjoy all of these things, praise the Lord your God for all of this that he's given you. Otherwise, when you come and see your friends and that the renovations are all finished, you'll look around and be tempted to say, we did this. By the power of volunteer staff and prudent budgeting, we made this happen. But remember, God did this. And even when it looked like you did it, God gave you the ability to do what you did. God has brought us this far. We are here because God has led us. So we want to raise an Ebenezer, as we sang this morning. Uh, if we jump forward in time a little bit, Israel came into the promised land, and after a number of years, they were under military threat from the Philistines. God gave them a decisive victory. We see this in 1 Samuel 7. And so they took a pile of stones and they stacked them up. And they called this pile of stones an Ebenezer, which just means God has helped us. And the point of this pile of stones is that every time people walked by the stones, they'd say, hey, why are these stones piled up? And they'd say, well, this is, this is Ebenezer. This is to remind us that God has helped us so far. So that's what we're doing this week and next week is we're, we're not piling stones, but we want to pause and remember and say, God has helped us this far. We're here because God has brought us here. So just take a second and just look around. Like, you're allowed to, it's okay to move your head. Some of you are just like, <laughs> like, just, just look, look around. Look at the people that God has brought here. Look at the fact that, that, that you are here. 
that we have middle school, a thriving middle school. We've got high schoolers here that we've got a a kids ministry that's just exploding downstairs. So we've got hospitality and coffee. We've got a prayer ministry. As, as Kevin said, we want to have a prayer be a, a key part of what we do. God has brought us here. And so we want to take a little look at what God has done. We want to do it by highlighting, uh, or just kind of walking through our four planting statements. We're going to look at two this week and two next week. Uh, there's, there's four planting statements we have. The first is known in community. These are the things we want to see happen at this campus. So known in community, not that we're just alone together, but that we actually have significant connection with each other. We want to impact Aldergrove, so we want to make a difference in our community. We want to see new people meet Jesus. So we don't want to just make Christians comfortable. We want to find those who don't know Jesus and say, hey, come and see. And we want to grow in the use of our gifts. And a helpful way to remember this is by the acronym, you'll notice K-I-N-G, King. Now, this could be confusing, because when we talk about King, are you talking about King Charles III, the current King of England, or are you talking about the planting statements of Aldergrove? Who knows? It's very confusing. And so actually, if you reorder the letters, you could also use the acronym GINK. And you might have noticed at the ministry fair, there were actually stickers you could get that said, Eat, Sleep, Gink, which is just a reminder that God has called us to do this. But if you're taking notes, uh, a more helpful acronym might be KNIG, because we're talking about being known in community and new people meeting Jesus. Next week is Impact Alder Grove and people growing in their gifts. And so, however works for you. Uh, to remember our planting statement. So being known in community, let's take a moment and raise an Ebenezer. I suspect we've all experienced loneliness at one time or another, but it's one thing to be alone and lonely and quite another to be lonely in a crowd. Has anyone ever experienced that feeling of being alone in a crowd? Yeah. Whether it's in traffic or grocery store, at work or at school, or or maybe even here on a Sunday morning, it's like starving at a buffet. That that you're in the midst of the very thing you need, and yet you feel so incredibly alone. And so we don't want to be a people who walk alone together on this journey with Jesus, but instead we want to be known in community. And we get this from Jesus himself. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, who is Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So if we imagine that, that, that God the Father and God the Son are kind of living in this beautiful mansion, and it's, it's up on a hill and behind a gate, and their life is really, really good. And their life is perfect. And even though they've got the perfect place and the perfect people, Jesus still chooses to pack his bags. And verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He moved into the neighborhood. We have seen his glory, his essence, the the true understanding of who God is, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God. He's up in the mansion on the hill, as it were. 
But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made himself known. So Jesus is kind of up in this mansion on the hill behind the gate. None of us can get up there, but Jesus packs his bags. He crosses through the gate and he moves into our neighborhood. He moves next door to you and to me. And he knocks on the door and he introduces himself and he chooses to make himself known so that we could have relationship with God and with each other. He willingly puts himself out there even though he didn't need to. So we want to follow that same example. That a lot of us, we are tempted to to cover up and withdraw. That if you know me, you're only going to know part of me. I'm going to cover up certain things so that you can't know the real me because if you knew the real me, there's no way you could love me. Or I'm going to withdraw and I'm just not going to put myself in a situation where we're going to get to know each other at all. And so those, those can kind of be how we're wired. We either cover up so you never know the real me or we withdraw. But instead, Jesus calls us to be known in community. And so what does this look like at Aldergrove? Well, it's why we wear name tags. And it seems silly, but when was the last time you were talking to someone whose name you should know and you don't know? And the longer the conversation goes on and the more they use your name, the more you begin to suspect that they begin to suspect that you don't know their name. (laughs) And so probably it's time to change churches. (laughs) Or at the very least, never talk to this person again. And after a period of time, I've seen it happen and I've felt myself trying to do it sometimes. You just avoid these people. Because you're like, oh, it's been too long. I should know their name and I don't. So, the name tag, it's not for me. It's for you. And your name tag's not for you. It's for me. That's why we wear the name tags, to help keep that. We can relax. Now, if you do ever forget a name and the person doesn't have a name tag, let's just have grace for each other. The phrase I use is, I'm sorry, could you remind me your name? So just... Let's have grace for each other. But that's why we wear name tags. It's why we value life groups. What happens here on a Sunday morning is great, but if this is your only context of community, you're going to walk away hungry. You're going to walk away lonely. You're going to walk away disappointed because you're like, ah, nobody knows me. Where's the chance to ask questions and and to pray and to, to connect and grow deeper and to wrestle with the meaty things of life? Well, that's not here. That's in a life group. And it can be something else too, but life groups is one of the ways that that happens, which is why we value it. It's why we've had communion together sometimes. And I know that's a little weird and maybe even difficult, depending on your personality or your history, but communion originally was a meal that the church ate together. It wasn't grace received alone together. It was grace experienced in community. So we won't always have communion in groups, but sometimes we will. And it's part of being known in community. And one thing that we've heard is that people, when they visit here, they walk in the door and they they say it feels like home. Has anyone experienced that? A few? That's something that's amazing. That's something that, that I'm just so thankful that God has brought here. I've heard stories from people who have just moved to the area, who have gotten plugged in. 
People who have wondered how they're going to fill their time and now they have a full social calendar. People who were once alone together and are now known in community. It's not perfect and we're not done, but it's been happening and it's not been happening because of us, but because God has brought us this far. We also want to see new people meeting Jesus. And again, this comes from the life of Jesus. In Matthew 4:19, Jesus, he's calling his disciples, his students. And he calls Simon and Andrew and he says, come follow me and I will make you fish for people. And one thing that I think is amazing about this is that Jesus calls us where we are. Notice he calls the fishermen and says, I will call you to fish for people. He recognizes who we are, our gifts and our context. He calls us from, from where we are. He transforms us. We learn from him how to be like him. And then he sends us to, to go find those who don't know Jesus and to say, come and see. Come and meet Jesus. One of my fears with this plant is that we would simply end up making more Christians comfortable. That's not the goal. We also want to see new people meet Jesus, because it's not just about us. Jesus tells a story about a, a shepherd who has 100 sheep, and 99 are there, and one wanders away, and he says, that shepherd's going to go find the one. And we, we look so established here that we can be tempted to look around and say, 99? That's amazing. We're basically all here. And Jesus says, basically isn't enough. We want to find people who don't know Jesus. We want to invite them to meet him. So how has this looked like over the past year? Well, Kevin's going to talk more about it next week, but we had Move Camp and Celebrate Single Moms, two events where we invited people from the community to come and hear about and meet Jesus. We had people from Alder Grove join Alpha at our Walnut Grove campus last fall, and this past January, we ran Alpha here at Alder Grove and had 15 or 20 people attend. We've had an incredible amount of people here at Alder Grove coming back to church, coming back to Jesus after a break of years or even decades. And it's not people meeting Jesus for the first time, but people getting reacquainted. Now, we here at Alder Grove, we're part of a broader church of North Langley. There's three campuses. There's Alder Grove, Walnut Grove, and Yorkson. And right now, they're running Alpha at Walnut Grove and Yorkson. And currently, at Walnut Grove, there's 150 people in Alpha. Yorkson has had 50 people coming, with 15 of those being a table of Spanish speakers. Now, we might look at that and think, eh, it's not us. But when Jesus talked about fishing, we sometimes imagine rod and reel. But fishing wasn't an individual effort in Jesus' day. It was net fishing. So you throw out the net, and a team of people would pull in the fish. You work together. And so we aren't the ones running that alpha, but we can be praying for that alpha. We have people from Alder Grove helping lead that Alpha and host people at Alpha. In January here, we are going to be running Alpha. So not everyone is the person on the stage, but what does it look like for you to consider over the next months, how do you work towards an Alpha invitation with someone you know? How can you be praying for Alpha here that we would see God bring people to meet Jesus? Maybe for you it looks like setting up tables and chairs, hosting a table, help make food, um, 
There's a million ways that we can do this because it's not a one-man show. It takes all of us together. But we want to see new people meet Jesus. So part of what we're doing today is remembering. But the goal isn't just to pat backs or to wax nostalgic. After all, I heard someone say, the past, it isn't what it used to be. Instead, we raise our Ebenezer. We say, God has helped us this far. And as we consider what God has done, may our hearts be filled with expectation that the God who blew away our expectations over this past year, what might he want to do in this coming year? See, that's why we remember not to just look, to look back, but to look ahead. What would it look like for us to grow as a community? Not just in names, that would be part of it, but like Jesus, are you willing to make yourself known? To sit down and willingly share your life with others and allow others to share their life with you? Whether by starting a conversation, extending an invitation to lunch, accepting an invitation to lunch, joining a life group, meeting someone regularly for coffee, whatever that would look like. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Emily and I went out for lunch after the service, and we bumped into a life group. And it was amazing. It was amazing to just see community happening. What would that look like? Community is messy. It's imperfect, but it's part of the life to which Jesus has called us and for which we are wired. And if you are in a community like that, what would it look like for you to grow deeper? What would it look like for you to move past sports, politics, and weather? and go deep to wrestle with the things of God, life, and everything, to embrace the mess and be known more deeply. See, one year ago, one of the beautiful things here at the campus is that everybody was new. So everyone was taking these really intentional efforts to introduce, to extend, to, to, to get to know each other. But we've become comfortable, and it's not bad. Well, for the most part, when I look to the left, I know who I'm going to see. When I look to the right, I know who I'm going to see. And when I look up, I know who I'm going to see. And that's beautiful. There's a consistency to that. But as we become consistent, let's not become so comfortable that we forget to invite, to welcome, to extend, that we would continue to be people that are willing to know and be known in community. And not just even on a Sunday. I'm going to invite the band up. But that we would continue to welcome and extend and invite ourselves outside of the building as well. We just finished a series on evangelism, on sharing the good news like Jesus. See, when we're here, it can be tempted to feel like everybody is here. But instead, we want to respond to Jesus' call to go and fish for people. There's people who don't yet know Jesus. Who can you invite? What does that look like in your life to help people meet Jesus? Not everybody's the person up here, but where has God placed you? Who do you know? What is your context in which you can introduce people to Jesus? Especially as we look to January, to pray for Alpha, to consider how you could help make it happen. I love telling the story of what God has done here at Aldergrove over the past year. And it makes me excited to see what God has in store. See, God has brought us this far. Where is he taking us next?
Would you stand and pray with me? So God, we just, with hearts full of thankfulness, we thank you for bringing us this far, for all you have done in us and through us. We just ask that you would gift us the humility to recognize that it is you who has brought us this far. And that even where it looks like us, it's been you working in us to make it happen. So God, we thank you for all you've done. We pray that you would fill our hearts with faith for all you will do. That this next year would be again a story where you're the hero. We pray this in your name. Amen.